Dealmaker Insights, the podcast brought to you by Reed Smith's corporate and finance lawyers from around the globe. In this podcast series, we explore the various legal and financial issues impacting your deals. Should you have any questions on any of the content through this series, please contact our speakers. Hi, Ravi and James here for the greatly anticipated second instalment, Force Majeure and Frustration. So we'll start with force majeure, particularly what is it? Well, it's particularly relevant in light of COVID and kind of recent developments. It's quite a standard provision that's included within English law contracts. And it typically excuses one or both of the parties from performance of a contract in some way following the occurrence of certain events. Its underlying principle is that on the occurrence of the certain events which are outside of a party's control, that party is excused from or entitled to suspend performance of all or part of its obligations under the contract. That party will not be liable for its failure to perform the obligations in accordance with the force majeure clause. It is used in contracts because of the limited remedies available to parties under English common law when a contract becomes impossible to perform. The term force majeure is derived from French law, a civil law system, but has no recognised meaning in English common law. The term should therefore only be used in agreements when it is properly defined. Force majeure events are usually defined as acts, events or circumstances beyond the reasonable control of the party concerned. And we'll come back to those in a minute. Drafting a list of force majeure events can be cumbersome and lengthy. We would suggest that the drafter include sweep up language to ensure that any list of events is not treated as an exhaustive list. During negotiations, often parties argue about which events are within or beyond the reasonable control of a party, that is, whether a certain event falls within the scope of the force majeure clause. From the point of view of the party that is most likely to invoke the clause, typically a supplier, examples of events which may warrant express inclusion within the clause are industrial action. In the absence of a specific provision, a customer may argue that the supplier could have avoided the industrial action by giving in to wage demands or any other demands. Secondly, subcontractor or third-party supplier default. In the absence of a specific provision in this regard, the customer may argue such persons would not have defaulted if they had been more diligently supervised or better paid by the supplier. On the other hand, the party less likely to invoke the clause, typically a customer, may wish to ensure that these events are expressly omitted. A customer may wish to agree only a very tightly defined clause listing only certain acts, events, accidents or omissions as force majeure and excluding all other possibilities. So when you've reviewed a force majeure clause, you've probably seen the lengthy list of acts, events, accidents or omissions that are included. In light of COVID, What we're seeing now is the express express inclusion of pandemics, epidemics and other civil emergency situations. This is obviously a difficult point for the other party to to accept, but we've seen that there's a a move towards that being a a more standard or more market position. But obviously, it all turns on on the facts of negotiation. Yeah, definitely seeing the same thing, James. And I don't know about you, but I remember back in April 2020, we had a lot of clients contacting us, uh, asking us whether the pandemic would be caught under their existing force majeure clause. And often 
there was no reference to epidemic or pandemic and it was creating a lot of issues for them. So what happens if there isn't a force majeure clause in the agreement or as people found in April 2020, force majeure clause doesn't capture the event in, in question? Well, in that case, you have to rely on the common law doctrine of frustration and hope that that applies. But frustration only applies in certain restricted circumstances where the performance of the contract has become impossible. It offers limited relief and remedies to the parties, though. So going into frustration a little bit more, a contract can be uh, maybe discharged on the grounds of frustration when something occurs after the formation of the contract which means that it can't be physically, legally, or commercially performed, or the event happens which transforms the obligation to perform into a radically different obligation to that which was undertaken when the contract was entered into. Generally speaking, a frustrating event is an event which occurs after the contract's formed, is so fundamental as to be regarded as both striking to the root of the contract and as entirely beyond that what was contemplated by the parties when they entered into the contract, is not due to the fault of either party, and renders either the performance of the contract impossible, illegal, or makes it radically different to that what was contemplated. So examples of frustrating events can be a destruction by fire or other cause. So for example, a flood is often used. Unavailability of the subject matter, supervening illegality of performance so where something happens which is a change in law or circumstances which then makes the contract performance illegal the cancellation of an expected event unexpected and abnormal delay in performance due to an unexpected event or change in circumstances so an unexpected delay itself isn't sufficient it needs to be abnormal and falling outside what the parties usually contemplate at the time of contracting or the contractual performance imposing a burden on one party which is so different from that which they were contemplating at the time of contracting contracting without actually rendering the performance impossible. So it might be possible to still perform the contract, but it's so different to what I thought I was going to have to do that the contract could be frustrated. As I mentioned, given the definition of force majeure probably didn't include pandemic or epidemic in a lot of contracts back in April 2020, it's inevitable there's going to be a whole bunch of cases and arguments and disputes as to whether a contract can be frustrated based on COVID-19. But what are the consequences of frustration? It doesn't actually mean that the contract never existed and it doesn't void the contract. What it does is it automatically discharges the contract and the parties are excused from their future obligations. However, the existing rights and obligations are protected and therefore you can't just assume that the contract never existed in the first place. The court doesn't have the right to adjust the terms and agree new terms. It just simply puts an end to the contract at the point of frustration. Now, as I said, the existing rights and obligations are protected, but there was a piece of legislation back in 1943, the Law Reform Frustrated Contract Act, which provides some clarity as to what happens around payment obligations under contracts which are frustrated. Now, this piece of legislation applies to most contracts, um, apart from those which specifically exclude it, some shipping contracts, insurance contracts, and contracts for specific goods which have perished. The legislation provides that money paid before the event can be recovered and that money due before the frustrating event, but not in fact paid, ceases to be payable. However, there is an obligation or a right uh, for expenses to be retained from the amount that that was uh, paid or for those expenses to be recovered if no payment had already been made. Additionally, the court can require payment for the benefit received up until the frustrating event. 
So it's not a way of getting out of paying for stuff that you've already received. As you probably heard, frustration is not the most ideal scenario, and therefore we definitely recommend including force majeure clauses in, most, in, in all your contracts and making sure that that force majeure clause is as comprehensive as possible and including that sweeper language that James mentioned to ensure that you don't have an exhaustive list which could be used against you. Thanks for tuning into this episode. We look forward to speaking to you again on the next episode, which is around things that you can include in your contracts to help you when they go wrong. Thanks. Cheers. Dealmaker Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's corporate and financial industry practices, please email dealmakerinsights at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, readsmith.com, and on our social media accounts at readsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.